2: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Vefalius, and I'm the producer of to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And
3: I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the GeekScape Podcasting Network.
0: Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast.
3: We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you.
0: So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help
3: or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well we can help you with that also.
0: You can contact us at info at we know for more information
3: We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality) Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Shane Told from the Burlington, Ontario band Silverstein. Shane and I break down the writing, recording, and release of their 2005 hit My Heroine. Shane tells of a common theme here on Krista Makes a Podcast, that My Heroine was almost left off their record discovering the waterfront because no one besides him believed in the song. We talk about how nerve-wracking it can be to preserve your voice on the road as a vocalist who not only sings but also screams with the sheer ferocity that Shane does we politely disagree on the song's structure it's definitely an odd one but I feel that it works perfectly Shane mentions how the song's lyrical meaning is a double entendre that was not intentional when he wrote them and how the song has helped countless Silverstein fans through their bouts with addiction and Shane was gracious enough to perform the song acoustically for us today and he did a killer job for all this and much more stay tuned hey hey have you heard Krista makes a podcast hey Heard? Krista makes a podcast Hey hey have you heard Krista makes a podcast Hey hey have you heard Krista makes a podcast You know I, I, I want to say there was more than one, but I know for sure that we spent a summer together on the 2006 warp tour. Yeah, I think 2006 and then I want to say again either 13
2: or 15. I um, think Um okay well, One yeah one of those years we did we did like we were always on the even year uh the odd year so we did 13 15 and 17 most recently and i know you were on some of the dates but you must get so mixed up i get mixed up and you guys have done like twice <laughs> as many twice as many as me
3: yeah we've done we've done a few warp tours in our in our, in our time Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty pretty crazy um you know this uh shane picked the song my heroine and uh this tune uh, got a lot to talk about with this one, so I'd, I'd like you to set it up. Was, sure. Was, was this song, um, you know, your record, your debut came out in 2003 when Broken is easily fixed, mm-hmm. and of course uh, My Heroine is from Discovering the Waterfront, which was released in 2005. Um, was this song specifically written for Discovering the Waterfront? Like, was it something written between albums, or was it a holdover from the first record? So I had that riff, that intro riff, forever.
2: I don't even know when exactly I wrote it, but but I would say well before uh When Broken came out, I would say. Like around or around there. And I okay. knew it was a special riff. I knew there was something about it. Um it's kind of an intricate weird riff. Like there's there's a kind of weird string skipping pattern and whenever I try to show someone to play it, they're always like really they can't wrap their head around it. It's kind of a strange riff. So I knew there was something there. And, you know, wasn't ready for that. I didn't know what to do next. And then, you know, once it was time for LP2, you know, and you know the pressure that comes on LP2, right? You know, we didn't expect any success. And here we right. are, you know, knowing this record's going to make a splash. And, and for me, I thought this riff and, you know, the song it was
3: going to turn into could be, it had a lot of potential. Well, that's cool that you knew that early on. And I, and I love the riff and I, and I know what you mean cause I picked up the guitar to, uh, to run <laughs> through the song and it, it's that haunting, uh, it, it's the G string, um, yeah, yeah. That, 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 rings out, that gives that, that haunting, uh, uh, to it. And so you're, you're saying you had this riff for some time and isn't that crazy? I, I've had, uh, riffs in my phone, uh, used to be just laying around on cassette tapes back in the day, <laughs> Sure. sometimes for years and, and they had never matched or turned into something. And, uh, why do you think that was with this, why, why it didn't uh, formulate into something sooner? Honestly, I I just really liked it. Like, I, like mm-hmm. I liked it so much.
2: And this is going to sound weird, maybe, that I'm like, this is our big hit. And I, like, thought it was going to be so good. But that's really the honest story that I didn't want to phone it in. I didn't want to half-ass it. And every part of this song, which we'll I guess I'm sure we'll get to, you know, oh, yeah. I I... I really really meticulously thought about it and spent time you know some songs you write them in five minutes literally literally like five minutes you have the music down or at least and then maybe you make some changes but then it kind of reverts back to that original five minute song you wrote your original instinct this was not that song this was a, a arduous you know process of of going back and forth and not knowing what was best and worrying about it and thinking about it at, at night, like literally it was like that. So I knew it wasn't going to happen for that first album. Uh, I wonder, really wonder what it would have been like if it had recorded much worse, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but no, and that's that's kind of the,
3: the that was the whole, t- you know, process of it, I guess, early on. Well, you touched on something a moment ago, and I kind of thought this is where you were going with it. Uh, and I've never brought this up on the show before. It's an interesting point. I've had riffs that I think are killer that I'm afraid to waste them almost like, I don't think this song is good enough for that riff and they'll sit around forever (laughs) because I can't write a song around it that matches the power and and the coolness of, of the riff. Exactly. That's, and that's exactly what happened with my heroine. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I love it. I love, uh, love that riff. Uh, it, it, like I said, it's haunting. It's that, uh, that open G, uh, string that just, that just gives it that. And there's also something I want to talk about in the intro um, I, and, and I, I, noticed that, uh, in the first verse, there is the lyric that says heartbeats. It almost sounds like a, it's like this keyboard noise, like a heartbeat monitor or something in there that, that adds to that hauntingness. Who, who whose idea was that? Was yeah. That that Cam, Cameron Webb, the producer brought her you guys. It was
2: Cameron actually. So we really, we did the record and you know how it is like, Oh, we, we, we booked a tour. I think we were going on tour with fallout boy. Literally right after we were recording, and we didn't give ourselves enough time, so the rest of the band had already left the studio. Um, we we recorded the record in California, so we're from Canada. We recorded the record in California, so that was kind of a new experience. But the the band had already left; they'd record their parts. I was alone finishing my vocals, and we had um two. We had actually um Sean from Yellow Card come in. After I'd left to lay down some strings. And I thought that okay. that was going to be the only thing. It was on a different song. I thought that was going to be the only extra thing. And then Cameron, who I'll get to this too. He hated this song. Didn't think it should be on the record. He You're ends kidding up, me. No, no. I'll, <laughs> oh, I'll, oh, dude. Yes. I'll talk about that in a second. But no. So he, he has this uh, Mellotron part that I guess his buddy came in and played on and it was it's strange i don't even know what it's doing like if i had to you know play it on a like on a keyboard or a guitar or anything i don't think i could it's 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 a strange little sound from
3: from nassau like a rocket thing or so i don't even know what (laughs) what it really is but it just and it's and it's not in the forefront it's uh it's almost buried but man it, it, it adds to that haunting arpeggiated guitar part it really really adds to it
1: Yeah
2: well you know I think at the time that that was being mixed you know and that was put together and I wasn't there I was still scared about the song not making the album I was still scared about that that I think that's why I agreed to having that little thing in there because I never liked it and I still when I hear the song now I'm still like that's just a strange decision. There, it <laughs> That's doesn't. So cra- seem That's so crazy. Like- I picked.
3: I picked up on it and liked it, and it's kind yeah. of uh, salt in the wound for you. Still, no. Well,
2: I don't know about that. I haven't thought about it, to be honest in a long time. But, but no. I mean, we had so that that album is was eleven tracks, and uh, we were only getting paid for ten from the label. You know, for publishing, and our first album was ten tracks. And I've always been a big short album, ten track guy. You know, like like the Weezer Blue album. You know, it's a perfect 10-track album. Leave you know, one for, more. Right, exactly. So that was kind of the approach. Okay, we'll just do 10 songs, so we'll cut one. And th- literally, like, I had this terrible demo of this song. The song didn't change much, but it was recorded, you know, the drums were on, like, a boss drum machine. Like, this is, like, before there was any drum programming using MIDI or whatever. And I dumped the drum tracks into, like, a boss... A recorder that records on zip disks. I don't even remember those. Like, I think it was called a BR8. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I made the demo on, and it sounded like shit. And the guitars Get were off like my metal lawn, zone. You kids. Yeah, man, I know. But it was it was it was not a good demo. And because um, most of the other demos, we kind of had our buddy that knew what he was doing to to help us with the demos, but this one didn't. So it stuck. Out, it stuck out like a sore thumb. And I think that that was probably why. You know, the rest of the band, they didn't like it, and the producer didn't like it, didn't think it should be on the record. And I. Oh man, you talk about lead singer syndrome. I pulled like a huge fit about this song potentially not being on the album.
3: Well, you know, as you should, it's your, it's your biggest <laughs> song. There's there's 12 million YouTube videos. Was now now <laughs> yeah. Real quick, let me back up. Cameron Webb, the producer, he's worked with. He's one of my favorite producers. I love Cameron. He's a man. He's worked with Motorhead, some 41, Social Distortion, Megadeth. I mean, his got a laundry list, uh, and I love his sounds. I love his tones. Um, was it kind of like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give him his little, you know, uh, mellotron sound here to, you know, at the top to, to give him his way. So maybe the song can get on the record.
2: Well, I really liked, well, I really like Cameron as a person. And at the time, I think when we were recording vocals, he pushed me pretty hard and I kind of hated him in that moment. But I think ultimately I knew, um, it was the right thing, but it was a weird situation even working with Cameron because originally we were supposed to make this record with David Bendith. and okay David I'm not, familiar, I'm not familiar with David oh David Bendith he's done he did like the Paramore Riot record and uh, okay okay he's sorry big, I, yeah he's a big deal um okay. and he's Canadian, so that's, somehow that's how he found out about us, and, you know, and he was gonna, originally he was gonna, okay, we're gonna do the record at a studio in New Jersey, and then he can't record it, but he's gonna mix it, and then he can you know, and then, oh, he can't mix it either, it's like, okay, so we fired him, um, just because it was too, it was too much, and we hired Cameron kind of last minute, like, I want to say we were on a tour in, like, January in Europe, and then we Went in the studio in like March So it was like It was like a month Or a month and a half From when we Confirmed with Cameron Until when we were actually like Tracking Okay So it was quick okay. And how was he on your radar? He had done this record By a, a band called Park From Chicago uh, I think they were on like Lobster Records, and we just loved this record. It was like a Van a Van album, you know, one of those records okay. that just you know you, you it gets to the it's end of the CD, yeah, and it just repeats, <laughs> and no one says anything. That yeah. was the the Park. Um, it, it won't snow where you're going. So we loved the drums on that album, and and just we just liked it, and we thought maybe he was the guy. And once you know, talked to him, I was like, this guy's awesome, and he is. He's such a good person.
3: Well, and I got to say right now, a recurring theme on Krista Makes a Podcast, I can't tell you how many episodes this has happened, and you said it again, that this track almost didn't make the record. You know, these artists, these bands' biggest hit, and and for whatever reason, you know, that the rest of the band didn't feel the song was up to snuff, the producer didn't in this case, and uh, it's just, it's crazy to me to think... And I'm sure to you too that, uh, that this song could have been a, some B-side and, and, and forever forgotten, but but here it is. <laughs> it's your it's your biggest uh, biggest track.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you say that, and I think what it is to answer your question is hit songs or great songs, they're different. And sometimes it's hard to know if that different is good different or that different is terrible different, right? And <laughs> yeah. and ultimately with this song, I think the band really was like, this is just, this song is different. The song is weird. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound the same as the rest of the record. And and my retort was to that was, yeah, because it's good.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know? and I'll tell you that I I didn't even think that they were they were referencing that it was different from the rest of the record. This is an odd arrangement and we're going to get into that right now. This okay. is this is this yeah. is different and uh and again, like I said, I always will pick up a guitar and and, and go through the songs with a fine-tooth comb cuz uh that's why I started this podcast. I I love every aspect of songwriting it's just so so cool to me and uh so the uh the arpeggiated the, the intro guitar part goes through for two measures and mm-hmm. um i'd also like to tell the listeners right now this song is uh three minutes and 29 seconds so it's almost three and a half uh, a minute song it's uh right in the sweet and, spot uh, right in the steps right in the sweet spot and um we, we get into the first verse And I want to break down these lyrics, the drugs and which there's kind of a double entendre here. The song's called my heroine spelled with an E on the end, which references a love interest in a a lady. Um, But then the first line is drugs, which we all know what, what heroin is. So the drugs begin to speak. A smile of joy arrives in me. But sedation changes to panic and nausea and breath starts to shorten and heartbeats pound softer. So set, set that up. Do you remember uh, yeah. where you were, what your train of thought was when you were writing that?
2: Absolutely. So, the, the story behind the lyrics I, I had this buddy, and he was, he lived in this, his, his dad is a doctor, a surgeon, and he had a lot of money, and he lived in this house, and he always had like kind of revolving roommates, but he had this like kind of big house to himself. You know, a nice guy, but he was going through a breakup. And I went over there to kind of, like, visit him, make sure he was okay. And I walked into his house, and his roommates ha- weren't living there anymore. He was in this dark house, like, shit everywhere. And it literally felt like a drug den. And he walked out, you know, he'd, he'd gone through this this horrible breakup, and he walked out, and he looked like just like he'd been on like he was a heroin addict to be honest. and right there, you know, him talking to him and, and how he would talk about how he needs this woman like he needs a drug that's that's just where I got the idea from, you know and okay. um, and that was kind of setting up the lyrics um, about it was was you know figuring figuring out how to kind of make it about a relationship that you're kind of addicted to that's that's horrible for you when you know it is but you kind of can't go away and using the, you know, the visualizations um, and the imagery of, you know, what a
3: drug addict would go through. Okay, okay, cool. Um, halfway through the verse at that line but sedation changes into in, panic and nausea, um, the drums and the bass come in there. Prior to yep. that, it's just that, mm-hmm. just that guitar and uh, the drums are just kind of doing a kick drum and a, and a hi-hat thing and then out of nowhere and initially when i was listening to this i'm like oh here's the chorus but (laughs) it's what i would call the pre-chorus okay and this is where uh later in the songs things start to get weird arrangement wise in terms of it doesn't follow the verse pre-chorus chorus chorus, verse you know this is a, a little different arrangement wise which is really cool but out of nowhere all hell breaks loose it's like the whole band's in the huge guitars and At first, I thought maybe this song was uh, was drop D or E flat because it's just that part is heavy as hell, and I was surprised it's standard 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 tuning in 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 E. Yeah, you know, because it just sounds so meaty and so big. And and uh, I know Cameron brings something to that production. His 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 mixes and productions is so fat, but out of nowhere, and your and your voice changes here. You, (laughs) I mean, you're ripping my head off. And it and the core the pre-chorus is the lyric: "You won't try to save me." You just want to hurt me, but leave me
1: desperate.
2: I think that's just kind of the transition between, you know, the drug imagery. And then sort of switching it off to where you're, you know, I'm screaming and it's like the the character or my friend, if you want to, if you want, you know, he's screaming about this relationship, you know, the frustration of it, which kind of sets it up into the chorus where you're talking, you know, then it's all relationship. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It goes into that side of it. So this is kind of a, um, an in-between line. But it's interesting that you think of, you know, the first lyric as the verse, because the way I, like we, you know, when we were putting the song together or whatever, or the way I thought about it was, you know, the structure is, is intro. And then when it gets heavy, that's the verse. So V1, <laughs> then chorus, then back to V2, then chorus, then reintro, right? I, into kind of an extended, oh no, there's a bridge too in there. After the chorus, there's a bridge. And then, <laughs> and then the reintro, um, into, into a final chorus. So, so to what? me, I always thought of those parts as
3: separate. Of course, yeah, well, and, yeah. and and the beauty is we can agree to disagree. Um that's an inter- <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting take. You know what? I never even thought of that. It is kind of an intro, but that that to me is the first verse. And then the heavy part is the pre-chorus, which then leads us into chorus number one. Mm-hmm. And the chorus happens three times in the song, and your voice goes back here. And what I also found interesting about uh about Silverstein, about your band is there a lot of times. Um, if you're going to do, uh, you know, the sing songy thing and s- have a singer and then you'll have the other singer screaming, but you're doing, you're doing all the vocals here.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, um, which I want to talk about that a little bit later of how you don't lose your voice because it just <laughs> amazes someone like me. If I scream like that, I'd, I'd be out of commission after half a song, but, um, <laughs> you get uh, to the chorus and your voice goes back. Similar to what it was in the verse. Very smooth. Um, And the lyric here is, you taught my heart a sense I never knew I had. I can forget the times that I was lost and depressed from the awful truth. How do you do it? You're my heroine.
2: (laughs) That's right. That's them. I've never heard them spoken so... uh, Eloquently? Poetically, yes. It's nice. (laughs) It's nice to hear. Um, Um, I don't know if if I feel good or stupid about it, but either way, no. I think that, yeah, I was... Trying to, like this heroin thing, you know, this whole double meaning, double entendre um, line. I thought there was something there. And, you know, with the I, I, the way I wrote the lyrics, I wrote the verse, or yeah, we're calling it the verse. I wrote that first, and, um, you know, I had all these, you know, these kind of intense words, like, you know, nausea, and, and like these kind of intense words. And I knew that the chorus needed something that was going to be a little more like, you know, just explaining it and you know I wanted to use the you're my heroine but I had to figure out how to kind of make it work so that's what I that's where I lined the you know how do you do it like wow I'm impressed with your, you know, your prowess and your, you know, ability to make me feel this way, you know, to to deceive me and still, you know, make me need you and love you on all this, you know, like wow, like you're my heroine, you know, you're my hero, kind of for for that, and that's that's the gist of it. Which okay. I don't know, if, I don't know if that's obvious. I always thought that that was, if we're being completely honest, kind of the weakest part of the, like the lyrical explanation because to me it made sense and and then when i read it back i was like i don't know if this is that clear
3: (laughs) you know well it's you know and don't take this the wrong way it's funny you say that the 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 chorus of this song typically the chorus is the thing you take away but um the chorus is, and I don't want to say it's my least favorite part, but the other parts of this song are so good that I feel like they eclipse the chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of, kind of, kind of comes down. So I could, I could see kind of what, what you're talking about there. Um, meant to ask a moment ago: Does the, did the song go through any changes from that initial rough demo that you were speaking of? Did, did, did the lyrics change? Did Cameron have anything to say about the lyrics, or was this pretty much what was on the demo? It was
2: pretty much the same. Um, I have the demo still somewhere. Actually, it's no, it's garbage. But no, it was pretty much the same. I don't know if I had all the lyrics quite done yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I had. You know, it was it was the structure was the same. Nothing really changed. And um, you know, I think the the biggest thing we didn't talk about the bridge yet. And Cameron especially hated the bridge, and you know, there's kind of a funny chord chord in there, which oh yeah, I, I it's call the
3: B, it's the B minor.
2: Yeah, I I B major. Um, I, I call it the um, the lag wagon chord, um, you know, and it's it's the super like fat records, you know, lag wagon or no effects does it all the time, you know, that major chord where it's not supposed to be. Cameron really hated it and he really thought it was just out of place and,
3: you know, and it is. And that's why I like it. Exactly.
2: That's was exactly <laughs> my, my explanation to him. But I but think
3: there, I, I think I, I know why I thought it was a minor, not to interrupt you, Shane. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that uh, there's an octave guitar going there. So it sounded minor to me. There's an yeah. octave underneath it running. So I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no problem.
2: Uh, yeah. And, and I think the, um, there was talk of, Changing out that part completely to kind of do like a heavier part, similar to the verse, or what are we, what are we calling it? The pre chorus, um, you know, and and bringing back like a breakdown element, or like something stops and there's like a chugga, 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 like heavy part, which I think I wrote one. I can't remember it, but I'm pretty sure I wrote an idea, which I was okay on. I just thought that the song maybe. It would I felt like it would just sound like a generic song. Not that I thought we were gonna get played on the radio or anything. And this song wasn't even supposed to wasn't supposed to be a single, was a like Hail Mary's third single later on, which we can talk about after too. Um you know, know, but I I just didn't think it was the right vibe and I kind of fought for that bridge. And um Well,
3: and and now and and we're gonna get to that bridge, mm -hmm. which I love, uh, but the song makes a little more sense on paper to me the way that you're structuring it, right? <laughs> because if you come out of chorus number chorus number one, then we go into what you're calling the verse, which is just that just that part. I, I'll say it again: t- this tearing your head off, you know. Yep. And uh, what I'm calling the pre-chorus too, which I found was odd because you go to the chorus. There's no second verse, which you're calling the intro, but it goes to what I'm calling the pre-chorus that, that you're calling the verse. But uh, <laughs> the, way, the way you set it up makes a little more sense, but uh, I still think this is really neat because you have that screamy, intense part, then it goes into the sing-songy chorus, and then boom, you're right back to you. And now the lyric changes, but the intensity's still there. That guitar riff is is killer. That's there again. The drums are bashing away, and the lyric is, you won't leave me alone. Chisel my heart out of stone, I give in every time. Yep. <laughs>
2: that's about it. That's a short verse, isn't it? I can it's see why ve- I can see why you'd think that isn't a verse when it's that that's, short. That's that's um,
3: why I thought it was right. a, a pre a pre-chorus and that kind of sets up the first chorus when that happens after the intro. So that's why um yep. I'm still holding steadfast Shane, this is a pre-chorus, damn it.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll let you have that No, I think the l- lyrics for this part It's just, um, you know, just more imagery uh, You know, just something I don't want to say it's cliche It's 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 a very Silverstein lyric It's a very Shane told lyric there And it could actually really fit in with Any of the lyrics on the first album too So I don't want to say it was like a throwback To that, like a our, our song Like Bleeds No More, but it was obviously similar And just I just felt the mold I just felt, felt like it fit the
3: mold of kind of the What I was trying to say and Not your delivery your delivery with that part when you're you're just screaming your heart yeah. out. Yeah. Your delivery there. Was that always intentional or was this part sung and at some point someone in the band or you or Cameron said, No, you, you need to be intense here. We need to lift here.
2: No, uh it was supposed to be screamed, and you know, that was a thing. Like you mentioned how I do both the singing and the screaming, which there were other bands that did it. We weren't the first, but a lot of the bands that did it. They were, you know, more like hardcore bands, more, um, mm-hmm. more bands that were, uh, how do I say this without being sounding like a dick, but like they, they just didn't sing very well. You know, they, they, they screaming was, was good. Um, the singing was like okay at best. So right. once, and I'm not going to say I'm I'm a better singer than those guys. It probably just was the, you know, the uh, advent of autotune that was coming into play at that time, which was making things way easier with less budget to, you know, make right. good, clean vocals. So, you know, for, for us to come out and doing this and I'm doing both, people were really excited about that part that I was doing both. And that was an element we wanted to have in a lot of songs. And I don't want to say we had to have it in every song, but we wanted to have that aggression and that screaming in, you know,
3: most of the songs because that was a part of of
2: why people really liked
3: our band. Well, and you, and you guys honestly are, are like the perfect meld of, of doing that because they're, man, I can't tell you how many times and, and usually it'd be at festivals. I, I've, you know, you've been <laughs> sure. on the festival circuit. I've seen every band out there doing this as long as I have. Um, and I would see these killer bands and I'm like. Why don't they just let the guy that screams scream all the time? Why do they have the other guy? He can't sing. And then vice versa. There'll be times when like that guy's voice is angelic. It's killer. Why do they have this guy screaming? Because it's not that good. Mm -hmm. No, no. (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah. And that's that's the
2: thing. Like doing doing both, I think, was a really important thing just for the success of our band, especially early on. And, yeah, and I think this song, we just wanted to have the elements. But, you know, I did an acoustic version of this song. I don't know if you typically talk I, about I, that I, stuff. I saw it. With, yes. Yeah. And and we, um, I recorded it with Cameron again, actually, which is kind of cool. We, we, after the success of this, we were playing a show at, I think it was the a House of Blues. And I, I went to his studio. It's just so weird that I did this. I did it on a show day. And you talk about, like, you know, screaming and losing your voice. Like, I, it's not <laughs> easy for me on tour. To get through, you know, five, six shows in a, in a row or whatever. We were, fuck, back then even more. And we I actually went in in the afternoon after Soundcheck and recorded that version of My Heroine that has, it's got like 15 million plays on Spotify or something. I'm like, man, I wish I spent more time on it. I did it in like an hour. And I had written in my, kind of in my head the melody for that be, the screaming replaced because that's another thing. when you when you do a screaming part, you're not really thinking about the melody. So right. it just kind of came out. and I really like the melody that I came up with the, for the acoustic version. Um,
3: which and I'm going to sing I'm,
2: later and you can hear so um, yes yes yeah. you
3: are well and I and I was gonna I was gonna mention that it is different on the acoustic version and I was gonna ask you how you how that came about and you, and you already answered the question which is yeah. really cool yeah no literally just it was just in
2: my head and I don't know yeah it just kind of came out and it just seemed very natural um you know maybe it had been kind of marinating in there every time I'd screened it I'd maybe that melody was sort of like just hidden in there in a
0: weird way
3: i'm not sure i don't think i don't think the delivery you have on the record here in the notes i don't think that would have worked in an acoustic version it had to be be something uh, oh yeah uh, yeah no no different screaming over acoustic guitars is never a good feeling (laughs) and and something i touched on a little bit ago you know and i noticed this uh we we spent a summer touring with uh with lincoln park and and uh you know chester rest his soul that guy Mm -hmm. he would just do these melodic singing and then he would just belt and scream yeah. and then he'd yeah. go back and forth and i always admired guys that can do that uh, yourself included because uh you know i uh, i got a really strong voice but i if i if i went up and did that type of shredding intensity of my voice uh, i just i know i couldn't do it and it's just admirable have you ever had issues on the road where there's some nights where Man, my singing voice is working, but my screaming voice isn't, and and, and vice, vice versa. versa. My, my screaming yeah. voice is working, yeah. but my I can't sing for shit tonight. <laughs> yep. No, uh, all the time. I think <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no,
2: I mean, I mean, I'm being honest. All, like, it's, yeah, it's a constant worry in the back of my head. I mean, all the time. Like, oh, well, you know, and it used to be so bad in the early days, like when you had smoking in clubs. Oh man, the smoking would just like if you, like back in the day, especially in Europe, like Germany like you know we, we were playing going over no there no
3: barricade they'd be right there right in right, front of you, right there literally
2: just, front row smoking uh, it's like kills me so so luckily that's better now but yeah you know like the loud bar after the show having a couple drinks like i, I couldn't go I, you know i still kind of can't um you know i've got to rest up i've got to make sure i'm good and and there's just a constant anxiety about am i going to be able to get through tomorrow's show and if there's one after that if there's one after that and then when it's roadie friday i'm like fuck yeah let's go i got through it <laughs> got through it but no there really is an element of like oh got through another one lucky guy um even though i've been doing it for you know we've been touring until this year nonstop for 17
1: years that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe
2: and and, and yeah. just to go a little further I know I talk a lot but you know the, the I love it <laughs> keep
1: talking
3: that's what we're here but, for
2: but no like you know when we started the band and we had this song on the first album I actually mentioned it already but it's called Bleeds No More and it was the first song we wrote that was a majority of the song was screaming and the band didn't know if I could do it and I didn't know if I could do it and to be honest we, we even had talk of maybe our guitar player doing that song or something you know to give me a break and I sure. just, I manned up and did it. And uh, can you say manned up anymore? Is that sexist? I know. Uh, maybe. I, 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 I'll dress it. You, you upped. <laughs> you upped. I'd use different choice of words if I had it back. But no, I, I upped. And uh, no, I, I, um no, honestly, just, uh um, you know, over time, it's like a muscle, you know? It gets stronger and for the most part holds up okay. It's just more my own head and my own anxiety about it. And well, if, if yeah, I could go back and do it again, I probably
0: wouldn't ever have started screaming. <laughs> but
2: uh, here we
1: are.
3: <laughs> well, to to your credit, like I said, a lot of bands they'll have like the guitar player doing the screamy part, and then right. the singer will sing the thing. So so you're uh, you're wearing both hats, and it's uh it's tough, man. It's grueling, and uh, and like I said, it's, it's admirable. I uh, I'd have I'd have a real tough time doing that because I I know that anxiety. No one will ever know what that's like getting on stage and not having your voice. It's yeah. the it's like your, your worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, chorus number two is the same, uh, exact lyric, uh, same as, as chorus one just goes yep. through once. Um, and then we get into the, the, to the bridge and or what I'm calling the bridge. This is uh, because there's a part after this that I'm calling something else that we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the lyric is, I bet you laugh and on laugh, there's that B chord that, uh, mm-hmm. Cameron Webb mm-hmm. was having an issue with that. I was like, Ooh, that's a breath of fresh air. It really sticks out, and I could see why that would be uh, be a little weird, maybe, to a producer. But man, I latched onto it, Shane. I really, I I love that. I I love that part. No,
2: thanks. I mean, shit. Cameron went on to produce no effects albums, and he worked with all these like fat record style punk bands. Like you'd think he would have got it, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised. It was. I think the band. I don't know. I think the band was shit talking the song pretty heavily behind my back the whole time <laughs> to where I was still paranoid that this wasn't going to make the record, um, e- even in the mixing stage. So yeah, the the bridge, I think I just, you know, I, I thought for it a little bit, but um, I, I don't know. I'm, I was... I thought that that bridge might be the song's downfall in terms of it well, making I, the
3: album. Well, I, I, I want to get to the lyrics here, and I, I started to, and I, I stopped. But before I forget, mm-hmm. I have to ask, uh, and 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 you you don't have to throw your band under the bus if you don't have you can you can <laughs> plead the fifth on this one. But is the song a point of contention at all with you guys because of how big it got and how everyone wasn't into it, or have they embraced the song?
2: Oh no, we've we've embraced the song. I think there was definitely, and I told you so moment there but i needed nothing like that in the band (laughs) i i needed it though for a little bit of trust you know um i think and you know a lot of the songs that i wrote especially back in those days i kind of wrote all the parts and showed everybody and it was my way or the highway and you know that's not always a great recipe either for a band but it you know but you know the song the, the album came out uh it was track seven
3: on the on the record and uh, which, which is odd too that's not a hit single position on a record not typically
2: although I'll tell you what I did I was a little sneaky so I believed in the song I thought everyone was going to freak out when the album came out um about it and they did but I put it at track number 7 buried a little bit in the track listing so the band wouldn't get mad but I realized you know that it was going to be the first track on side B of the vinyl so uh. so I, you know, because, you know, this was like prime, now everyone puts records on vinyl and everyone thinks about, okay, side A, side B, what's going to be the first track, but this was in that weird period of time when a lot of bands weren't even putting out vinyl, you know, labels weren't making it, mm-hmm. and I knew we were going to make vinyl because we actually had it in our contract that we had to make vinyl, which is why those records came out on vinyl and a lot of other bands on our label didn't. But yeah, but I snuck it in there. Uh, yeah, so and you, that and it you would had a, <laughs> the first track on side B just in case.
3: Yeah. And you had a 50 50 chance of people playing that side of the record first. You know, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after a few drinks, um, so in, in, into the bridge here, uh, I bet you laugh uh, at the thought of me thinking for myself. And there's some cool backing harmonies here, which are great on, on myself. And yeah, um, then it gets into uh, the second line as I bet you believe that I'm better off with you than someone else. So kind of kind of set up that lyric if you can.
2: Yeah, I think this is just sort of the realization now that the character is having that. This is kind of a bad situation because I think, you know, when you are in that situation with with a relationship that's so toxic, you kind of know, you know, even if you have thoughts in your head that, well, I love this person and whatever. You still kind of know it's maybe a little bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's what is is going on here, you know, with the character and and just the control that, uh you know, she has over him because of the, you know saying, you know, she might actually believe that she's,
3: you know, the only person that that he needs because, you know, that that can happen in a relationship. Sure. Yeah. And I again, I just think the bridge is great. It's a it's a breath of fresh air. It's cool. It's very short. It's only about uh, 10, 12 seconds and it's done. And mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. Um, we're going to agree to disagree again here. OK, this is either Shane's reintro or my verse number two. Um, mm mm-hmm and <laughs> this uh uh guitar part the intro comes back in the band breaks down and uh i guess this is what you would you would call the reintro right after that's the bridge
2: what, what I, it's what i would call the reintro yep
3: okay yep. this this to me is what i would call verse 2 either or it's uh, we're still talking about the same part and it's really cool uh that this comes back in here and you know upon upon you know, diving in and listening to this. It's interesting. It's uh, the lyric, the first two lyrics are your face arrives again. A hope I had become surreal, but under your covers more torture than pleasure. And it's almost like right there, you're, you're thinking the band's going to kick back in, but this part goes on and it says, yeah. yep. and just past your lips, there's more anger than laughter. Not now or forever. Will I ever change you? I know that to go on, I'll break you my habit.
2: Yep. I mean, that's just kind of ending the song lyrically with some maybe measure of hope. And I think uh, at the time writing it, you know, I've, I've never been on heroin. I've never tried heroin for the record. I'm not a drug. I've never had any drug issues or anything. But, you know, I had a feeling that some drug addicts and people in recovery might take something from this song, you know, um, it might mean something to them. And I really thought it was important to end it um, on a positive note, you know, with something hopeful, you know, um, you know, break you my habit, which, you know, of course, it's a double meaning between the, the relationship side of the song and the drug addiction side of the,
3: of the song. But I just wanted that to be really prevalent, I think, um, and powerful. I'm re- And it is. And I'm really glad you said that because I had written down in my notes. Uh, have you had uh, people with, with, uh, substance abuse issues or Is anybody reach out because of this yeah. song and say that it helped them.
2: Oh yeah. Like, uh, all the time. I mean, awesome. I mean every week probably someone, you know, will, will send me a DM or something and say, you know, Hey, that song really helped me through a hard time, you know, and, and some of the stories and some of the darkness that I've heard and it, it you know, some of our biggest fans actually, you know, um, I think that song was what drew them into us. Uh, Mhm and uh and help them out. So, yeah, it's it's a good feeling, it's a cool feeling and I think there in Silverstein's lyrics there is a lot of dark imagery and there is a lot of pain and um that's a constant theme, but at the end of the day or the end of the album, you know, we want there to be a takeaway that it's there's something better out there and you know, I'm a I'm a pretty positive hopeful guy in general. Yeah. Uh, so so you know, You know, I'm not like this tortured artist personality kind of guy. So I think that that's kind of important, too. You can't always just talk about, you know, ponies and rainbows and stickers and whatever else, you know. Uh, It's not going to work. But, you know, you can give people, inject some positivity and some hope into negative and dark lyrics. And I think that that can go a long way.
3: I call it the light at the end of the tunnel. You yeah, know, it exactly, gives you something exactly. to, to hang on to. It's great. Um, so we get into uh, and something else I want to say that you know lyrics are so subjective. And getting back to the to the people uh, reaching out that have had issues with drugs. I mean, you didn't even write that specifically about this, but the fact that they can take that away because mm-hmm. that's yep. what it means to them. That's yep. why I love doing this podcast, man. That's why I love breaking this down and talking about this kind of stuff because. Uh, you know, I've had it happen with my band. You'll, you'll write a set of lyrics and 15 different people will take 15 different things away from that. <laughs> They'll think it was written about them. Yeah. Well, have you ever done the
2: thing where you'll write a song? It'll be about maybe something specific, maybe not that specific, you know, like maybe you're not really sure if you had to do a, a track by track or whatever they liked you to do. Um, and then someone has told you what they think the song's about. And you're like, I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to take that one because it's a better story than I got because I've definitely done that.
3: That and I haven't wanted to burst people's bubbles. I've had people come up and say, you know, this song, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my my father passed away or this or that. And you're just looking at the pain in their eyes and you're just like, yeah, man. And you give them a hug and you and you go on. You know, that's sometimes sometimes I think that's the best thing you can do. Uh, chorus three, again, uh, just happens once. Same lyrics. Yeah. Was there ever a discussion with with Cameron of of uh, repeating this chorus twice at the end, or was this always just uh, going to happen again for for one more time?
2: No, I mean to quote our guitar player that joined the band in two thousand twelve and you know learned the song. He's he said this chorus is long as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, and, is. It, it is. It is. It is a long chorus. Yeah, it is a long chorus. So I think repeating it would be uh yeah it would be a lot but Overkill. you know what we do actually live we started doing was at the end we, you know we typically we play the song kind of near the end of the set um sometimes even dead last we actually stop um and we have the crowd sing the entire chorus a cappella um when it comes in the third time and then we do you know we do the build up into the third one like on the record so we actually do a double chorus uh, live but we well, have the crowd,
3: cool. sing, the crowd sing the crowd sing the whole first first part. Well then uh after you hear the third chorus it comes back one more time you gotta hear that riff and we just get <laughs> one line of you you know screaming your heart out it's just the line of I will save myself and it just ends right, on that big right. big E chord. Uh you get that riff and D again that little movement that's just dan that part is so cool. Uh and the song just ends just boom. So powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. I will save
3: was there ever talk uh, of, of that part? Was it was that always that short? Uh, the I will save myself, or did you want to get any more lyrics in there? Or was that kind of how it was? I think that yeah, I think that we didn't want or I didn't want to end the
2: song just like a ring out chord on the chorus. I I felt like there needed to be some something more. Kind of to, to, to cap it off, and yeah, and just that that made sense to go back to that, um, which I guess is a verse, which is a bit of a strange, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it is a bit of a, when you when you call that a verse, it's a really weird. Um,
3: well, and it's uh, almost you know, as weird uh, ending on the pre-chorus of what I'm calling it. So you know what, I, I I don't know. I think my I think my argument's been you know been been shot up there, but who knows?
2: <laughs> maybe maybe. No.
3: But I I love the way that ends, man. It's really cool. Um, one one last thing I want to touch on. When the fans heard this record, okay, yeah, did this song, was it like immediate with them or did it, you know, this was in 2005, did it kind of build up over time? And and do you remember the first time you played it and what the reaction was from the fans? Well, yeah, so the record came out in 2005 and it was,
2: you know, our second album, our first album, when our first album came out, nobody knew who we were, you know, really weak First week numbers. We didn't get in on any tours. We didn't really have a a booking agent that could book us anywhere. Like it was a real grind, that first album cycle. But we built something and we knew that album number two, people were going to care about it and people were going to buy it. And, you know, I think it charted, you know, like number 30 30 something on the billboard and did, you know, 25,000 copies of the first week or something, you know, a, a very big number, bigger than we were ready for. And, I'll tell you, man, pretty much instantly, everyone's talking about My Heroine. Everyone's saying, okay, they're coming to the shows. We don't know how to play it. Right. I, yeah, played, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I played all the guitars and, and everything on the record. Obviously, Paul knows how to play the drums, but no one knows it. And that's an intricate guitar riff, you know? It is. Um, Josh, Josh plays it and... and I put him you know I've gave I've given him the, the torturous role over the years of having to play this intricate part, you know, every show but he, he knew that riff, but you know having to put the song together and figuring it out, it took a little while before we started playing it and there was a lot of people leaving the show disappointed um, because yeah, we didn't we didn't know well, the band didn't didn't think even the label didn't like the song or didn't care about the song. you know we picked two singles. Uh, to 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 be to be the singles and then it was pretty six months into the, the after the album came out it was getting pretty obvious that we needed to do a, a single and a video for for this song. Um, and, uh, and, and what, we did. what, yeah, <laughs>
3: what, what killer vindication after all you went through with the song. It's, it's great, you know, that you, the, you know, and it wasn't, uh, from, from an ego standpoint, it was, uh, it had to feel good that the fans embraced something that you believed in for so long.
2: No, it, it did feel good. And, and to this day, it's, it's a great feeling that that song ha- has, you know, stood the test of time, I guess, and, and meant so much to people. And it, it's, it's nice that it's something that I started out with a riff and I said, this is something special. Like this is something good. This is something that I need to to work on
3: and care about, and that it kind of you know came full circle. And here we are talking about it all these years later. Heck yeah! Well, hey, speaking of special, you alluded to it a little bit ago, but uh, Shane uh, has been kind enough to offer to play my heroine live acoustic for us right now. So uh, okay, take it take it away. Okay, um, here's a guitar, and all right. <laughs>
1: The drugs begin to pee A smile of joy arrives in me But sedation changes to panic and nausea And breath starts to shorten And heartbeats pounce on You won't try to save me Just want to hurt me And leave me desperate You taught my heart A sense I never knew I had I can't forget The times that I was lost and depressed From the awful truth How do you do it? You're my hand I never knew I had I can't forget the times that I was lost and depressed from the awful truth how do you do it you're my hero I bet you laugh at the thought of for myself I bet you believe That I'm better off With you than someone else Your face arrives again I hope I had become serene But under your covers More torture than pleasure And just past your lips There's more anger than laughter Not now or forever Will I ever change you? I know that to go on I'll break you, my habit You taught my heart I never knew I had I can't forget The times that I was Lost and depressed From the awful truth And do you do it
3: Man, that was really cool. Thank, thank you for uh, for sharing that with with me and the listeners. Shane, yeah, Thanks.
2: no, no, Chris, thank you for having me and letting me uh, talk about this. A lot of stuff I haven't talked about, you know, despite all the interviews and everything. It's nice to to you know zero in on one track. And uh, uh, I love what you're doing on the show. I love this long form, you know, specific long forms. That's
3: why I love podcasts. Well, I I really appreciate that, and uh, you know I'd like you to leave the listeners now. Uh, I'll, I'll set up one thing. I, I always let uh, let my guests plug what they have going on, but uh, Shane, of course, has a, a podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome that uh, I was recently on, and uh, I, man, this thing you started it in twenty fifteen. You've had the the who's who in the business on the show. The podcast is killer. Congratulations with with all your success with that.
2: Thank you. No, it was kind of started just as a bit of a joke. (laughs) I had this funny name and I was going to do it as maybe a YouTube channel. And then it just ended up working better as a a podcast. You don't have to be in the same place as the person. And here we are almost five years. I'm coming up on five years. Actually, it will be five years when this comes out. And uh, yeah, I've had I've met so many friends and I've spoken to so many musicians that I deeply, deeply respect,
3: and it's pretty. It's been really, really, really great, and really positive for me. That's awesome. Well, again, c- congrats with that. And uh, anything else you'd like to listeners to know? Anything uh, going on in your world solo with Silverstein? Any any projects you got going on? Uh, please share it with us. Well, yeah,
2: Silverstein. We have a Redux album coming out, which is basically uh, re-recordings and reimaginings of some of our. Uh, uh, Actually, this one's kind of our deep cuts. We did one with with that was the hits, and now we're doing one with the deep cuts. So that's coming out. Uh, that'll probably be out, actually, when you're hearing this, so check it out. Um, and, yeah, the podcast, leadsingersyndrome.com, you can check out. And also, I just got on Twitch, so I'm doing a bunch of Twitch uh, live streams. It's a really cool platform now for musicians, and you can
3: follow me there. It's twitch.tv slash Told. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you again for uh, having me on your show recently and and for being a part of uh, my podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me, Chris.
3: Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to makes a podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to Might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They're called Rocket Loves Blue. On guitar we have Josh Shapiro and on vocals, Nikki Mulios. Uh, love, love this band's sound. Uh, uh, Nikki's vocals reminds me a, a lot of Stevie Nicks. I think it's killer. Here's a snippet of their track, Marigold.
1: Rap with Chris and Chris.
0: So, once again, that was another great episode. That was the first episode, I believe, featuring a song that includes screaming. So, I thought it was interesting to hear someone who has to scream in a song talk about how they handle that on tour, (laughs) which is always a question in my mind. How do you do that night after night after night? And I'm glad you brought that up.
3: Yeah, no. It's just it always amazes me. And I referenced uh, you know Chester from Lincoln Park. And I've been on tour with a number of guys. And the ones that really amaze me are the ones that can scream, but then go back to singing. I'm like, how the heck do they do that?
0: Uh, my my throat would be like raw meat. <laughs> I'm a fan of the aggression of screaming, and I like when it's used tastefully in a song. I don't really get the bands that do it all the time throughout the entire song. <laughs> it seems like at that point, it just it becomes just monotone no matter how intense you're being. But that's just my opinion. But when it's used in the way that Silverstein uses it or the used or glass jar, these bands that use it at intense moments and it has that effect and brings the song to that place. I think that's really cool and interesting. And I'm also interested, maybe next time we have someone who includes screaming in a song. I would be interested to know that when you're writing it from a melodic standpoint, are you writing that as a melody that later becomes screaming? Like, are you just writing it really high in your range or are you more or less just saying like, this is going to be screamed? (laughs) Uh, And I'm sure that it depends artist to artist, but uh, that would be something that I'd be interested in knowing about.
3: Yeah, you know, and I kind of touched on that in the episode. I had, I had asked him about that part, and specifically was you know, was that Cameron Webb the producer or was that you th- thought that it should be screamy? Uh that's a that's a good point you made. Yeah, sometimes you you you're wondering like, "Wait, was that supposed to be melodic and it turned into this or or vice versa?"
0: Yeah, I know anytime that I have screamed in a song, it's just been that it was so high in my range that I had no choice but to get to that screaming point, you know. And it's also hard to scream something that isn't at that point in your range maybe it's not at that point where you can't sing it but to scream something that is just like in a normal part of your range is sort of a skill in itself
3: <laughs> uh, yeah for sure and i and, you know one less than jake song one comes to mind it's a song motto uh, on our hello rockview record uh roger sings the verses and then i come in for the for the pre-chorus you know that's
1: something that keeps me safe. yeah no.
3: I'm wondering, like, why I ever, you know, why why didn't Roger just sing that? Because it's way out of my range, but the only way to hit it is to scream. And when we do that song live today, uh, 20-some years <laughs> removed, I always say, why did I sing that part?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always that buyer's remorse with putting screaming in your music, I think. And, and uh, Shane... Talked about that for a second there. Um, Although you don't really scream in less than Jake songs, you definitely sing really forcefully, sometimes pretty high in your range. So I ask you the same question you asked Shane how do you deal with that on tour? Do you have routines? Do you drink tea? Do you not talk to anyone before you play? Or do you just basically <laughs> say, screw it and just, <laughs> just go for it?
3: You know, I read something many, many moons ago, and I have to agree with this. You know, you could, you could limit uh, alcohol intake, you know, don't smoke, drink lots of water, drink tea and honey and all these other little tricks. But the bottom line, and, and Rob Halford from Judas Priest said, you have to get sleep. And sleep is tough on tour. Uh, when I'm when I'm off the road, uh, I rarely, if ever, will take a nap during the day. I just, you know, just don't do it. It's not part of my regimen. But when I'm on the road, uh, you know, after we get done with sound check, I'll come back to to the bus or backstage somewhere, and I'll get an hour or two of sleep. Uh, and if I don't sleep, I'll, I'll just lay there with my eyes closed because that's two hours that I'm not talking. I'm not right. using I'm not using my voice uh, because you know as singers a lot of times you're you're the front person of the band uh, people want to interview you they want to talk to you and Shane even talked about it uh, in the episode where you got afterwards you got friends in town you're you know you're out having a drink or whatever and and you're
0: talking more when you as a singer shouldn't be talking <laughs> right exactly and Shane brought up the smoking at the clubs which dude oh. I you know I don't necessarily have it if if you want to smoke that's your deal. But do it outside, (laughs) you know, like even if they allow smoking inside, I know some local bars like from the town I grew up in that I can't even go in them. And I'm not like a super sensitive person about it. Maybe some people would say I am, but In general, I don't care if I'm sitting next to somebody and they're smoking outside, but there are these bars you go into and, oh my God, I wear contacts. My eyes are watering and red. uh, I can't breathe. I had to leave this place. (laughs) I remember the last time I went to this bar called Just a Tavern in the town I grew up in. I, I had to leave. I couldn't handle it. And even more so when you're playing a show and you're trying to sing, do you? I think that most clubs don't have smoking now, but do you still experience clubs uh, where they do allow it? Not much. Maybe in the middle
3: of Italy or something, but it's rare. Japan's done away with it. But when we first started touring everywhere in the 90s in the States, certainly when we started touring the UK in the late 90s, it was every night. It was insane. You know, we used to do these, and I'm sure Punchline's done your fair share of basement shows back in the day where people would just be smoking away. And it was probably maybe four or five years ago. I don't know if we were in France or somewhere, but it was one of those nights where there wasn't a barricade where literally like the fan is right there. Like if I, you know, rang out a cord and, and put my right hand out, I would touch their head. They're that close to me. And this guy is one after the other, and it got to the. It just got to the point where he light up another cigarette, and I would just slap it out of his hand.
0: <laughs> nice.
3: And finally, he just finally he just stopped lighting up cigarettes. He realized because it was just coming up into my nose, you know. And I don't want to think. Yeah. I, I'm like you. I'm not like a you know cigarette or, uh, You know, I don't be a party party uh, pooper, and and uh, but I, you just have enough's enough after a while.
0: Right, I was about to say people are going to think we're not very punk for complaining about smoking, <laughs> but the fact that you're slapping Adam's hand, I'd say that's pretty punk, man. Because <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, it's kind of a dick move to be <laughs> to be smoking, especially in a crowd of people at a show. That's, oh that's well, man! Dick.
3: And back uh, in the day, back in the '90s, you know, when we started the bus, everybody in the band except I think Roger, me, and Buddy smoked everybody in the bus in
0: in the bus oh Jesus! i remember
3: (laughs) i'd be laying there at night in 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 my bunk and there'd be like the hall light on and you just see a plume of bluish gray smoke coming down the hallway it was a yeah it was a rolling germ tank you know the bus driver smoked everybody did
0: Jeez, man, that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, well, anyway, switching gears here for a second. Um, another thing that I thought was cool in that episode was Shane talked about how it sounded like everybody from the producer uh, Cameron Webb to his bandmates, no one really believed in the song, and Shane was like, "You're gonna see," and it ended up becoming their most popular songs. Uh, their most popular song, "My Heroine," and I guess what I was gonna ask to you is, are there any Lust and Jake songs that either not that you didn't think were good, but you didn't you didn't think were anything that special or maybe some of the guys in the band liked and others didn't so much like that became popular fan favorites among less than Jake fans. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, that's such a, a interesting point. And how many
3: times and I mentioned it in talking to Shane, how many times on this episode or excuse me, on this uh, podcast have we seen where the the biggest hit of these bands is one that almost got left off the record? It's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But the less than Jake song that comes to mind, uh, one of them would be, would be rest of my life that, uh, Mark Hoppus co-wrote with us. Uh, that was a song that, uh, we had the chorus, you know, it's going to kill me, uh, you know, the rest of my life. And and I thought there was something there, but the rest of it, I just, I just wasn't hearing. And it wasn't until, uh, we were in the studio and I finished the vocal and I heard it and I was like, okay, now now I get it. But uh, it was just another track. And even then, uh, I liked the song, but I didn't know uh, what, what it was going to do
0: and how it would react with the fans the way it did. Right. Yeah, that's very cool. Another One last thing that I want to talk about this episode is that Shane talked about how he wanted to end the song with something hopeful. He was thinking ahead, uh, just knowing, which in, in fact ended up being true, that people were going to be paying attention to the lyrics of this song and it was they were gonna relate to it. So he wanted to end it with something hopeful and not something the opposite of that. Uh personally I remember this. I, it's funny while you were uh recording the episode, I was googling like crazy to try to find the exact quote. I can't find it. I'll find it eventually. But there's something, uh Bjork is my all-time favorite artist. And she said something in an interview about how she never once her songs to not, in one way or another, have a message of hope behind them. Even if it's a sad song, even if it's a song that you're going to wallow in, there has to be something about that song that leaves the person feeling hopeful. So it's not just wallowing the entire time. And I've always... Thought of that. And I think that's a really cool way to approach lyrics and themes in songs. And
3: speaking of hopeful messages, Chris, I'd like to talk about this month's fundraiser the Jason R. Flood Memorial. It's a newly established nonprofit founded after the suicide death of Jason Flood. Their goal is to raise awareness of suicide prevention and to feel comfortable to speak up and reach out when warning signs are recognized. They are constructing education and peer support groups to offer guidance for a variety of mental health issues, particularly with the tween and teenage groups. So, if you could hop over to ChrisMakesADifference dot com uh, and give whatever you can a dollar two, five ten, it would really ha- help out a great organization. And we appreciate all of your support. Uh, I think you have something you'd like to tell the listeners, Chris. Uh, Yeah, Chris, do you think I do a good job of producing your podcast? Well, you didn't pay me to say this, so to be <laughs> honest, yes, you do. You, you, you make me sound way better than I do. You do a fantastic job, Chris.
0: Well, thanks, man. And I know I, I dug for that compliment, but that relates to what I want to tell people about is myself and my very good friend, Matt Kelly, have started a company called We Know Podcasting, and what we want to do is help anyone out there who has been interested in starting a podcast of their own. We can help you along the way with everything from consultations about the concept of the podcast uh, to technical things like what mic should you use and what program should you use to record and getting you a logo for your podcast, a name for your podcast, a theme song for your podcast, and of course, the actual editing of the podcast because people might not know exactly what goes into editing a podcast. And I think the bad podcasts out there are the ones where people just hit record on a microphone and do no editing, and you just listen to people ramble on and on. But keeping it concise and making it interesting to the listener the whole time helps you build an audience. I like to think that's what we've done with Chris to Makes a Podcast, but that's what Matt and I are here for. And if anyone is interested in that, you can hit us up at info... At we know That's info at we know if you've ever been interested in having your own podcast.
3: Well, I got to tell the listeners right now that you'll be in good hands with Chris. Uh, Him and Matt will definitely take care of you with this. I didn't know one thing about podcasts when (laughs) Chris (laughs) initially told me that uh, you should do a podcast, Chris. And uh, he has taught me everything I know. Uh, He has a wealth of knowledge. So uh, please hit him and Matt up. That would be great. And if you'd like a custom Valentine's Day song video greeting from me, hit me up at christamakes at gmail.com. I'll give you or that special someone a uh, nice little warm message for Valentine's Day, uh, accompanied with a short little acoustic song uh, mentioning uh, you or that special person in your life. It's a great last minute gift. If you haven't already, please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you in our group. It's a lot of fun. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week.
2: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce.
3: And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB.